I met the Sarge in college. Although he was from a relatively humble family, he is intellectually the smartest person who I have ever personally known, bar none. I met the Sarge when I had had too many beers at a college party my freshman year. It wasn't until I woke up the next afternoon that I discovered I had inadvertently pledged his fraternity the night before. Sarge had been a brother in the fraternity for two years by then. Besides being very active in rushing for new members, he was also in charge of teaching all the new initiates, us pledges, the codes, credos, and the secret handshakes, stuff like that. I continued on with my pledgeship even though I knew I had been duped into the whole affair. After thinking about it, I did enjoy mingling with the cute sorority girls who were abundant at these weekend parties, plus the copious amounts of alcohol available. But, nevertheless, he would spend the entire semester making us earn our places in the halls of the lodge. The good part was that he took a personal ownership over us pledges and actually cared about instilling in us the values which the fraternity aspired to. High academic standards, maintaining integrity in yourself, respecting the dignity of others, and becoming an upstanding member of the community. The bad part was how he drilled us relentlessly, making us memorize all sorts of idiotic things, hence his nickname, The Sarge. Sarge looked like a typical Southern California surfer dude, a mane of out-of-control blonde hair down to his waist and an attitude more like that of Jeff Spicoli from Richmond High. Most people who only knew him in passing around campus considered him more of a party animal than the walking and talking absolute genius that he was. Sarge was a fixture at every fraternity party and was somehow involved in every goofy college antic I could remember. But he was also a fixture on the dean's list and majoring in physics, no less. At that point, the Sarge's explicit goal in life was simply to ruin the grading curve for everyone else in all of his classes something which he did with regularity. Our lives went different directions after graduation. Sarge, who graduated a couple of years before me, went off to graduate school and continued his pursuits in math and science. Once I graduated, I entered industry with my liberal arts degree as a basic low-level worker bee. My career advanced and, as chance would have it, I was transferred by the very big corporation of America to their Washington, D.C. office. There, in the district, I was reunited with my old fraternity buddy, Sarge. By that point, he had been awarded two master's degrees, one in physics and the other in applied math. But Sarge was still in school, working on a PhD in pure mathematics at the University of Maryland, which is located right outside the Washington, D.C. Beltway in College Park, Maryland. The six years we had been apart had certainly changed us. Sarge had become more political than I ever imagined, adopting a right-wing, free-market, laissez-faire political bent, which had the unfortunate effect of putting him at odds with nearly everyone else in the Washington, D.C. area. An area which I found to be a bastion of liberalism, owing to the simple fact that so many residents depended upon the largesse of the federal government for their livelihood. I reconnected with the Sarge when I was hitting up acquaintances for advice as to where to live during my two-year assignment to America's capital city. In another coincidence, it just happened to be the same time the Sarge was in need of a new roommate to help pay the rent on his apartment, which was located in a relatively safe section of D.C. Apparently, he had, once again, 
had too many arguments with his former roommate. The disagreement left Sarge with an empty bedroom which, on a PhD student's teaching stipend, was an extra bedroom he couldn't afford. So I moved in without giving things much thought. One of the first things I noticed after moving in was his consumption of alcohol. Sure, we had both drank a lot in college, but then we were just dumb kids who filled our free moments chugging beers. The Sarge who I moved in with had advanced onto drinking hard alcohol on a daily basis. I would often return from work in the early evening to find him at the kitchen table, intensely, almost frantically, scribbling arcane symbols and numbers on scraps of paper which he had strewn across the kitchen table. There, among the floatsome of his day's work on his mathematical dissertation, would be a half-empty fifth of vodka, or an empty one, depending on the intensity of his focus. That worried me, and after a few weeks I confronted him. Sarge explained that as he had continued to pile on the degrees, all the knowledge he had crammed into his brain had become jumbled and confused. He had learned that if he didn't liberally consume vodka as he worked, he couldn't get anything done. You see, explained the Sarge, I use vodka to slow my thoughts down to the point where I can consider and work with him. Otherwise, I just can't focus on any one thought long enough to make any progress. Although we lived together for two years, I never could grasp how Sarge functioned. He would be obviously intoxicated, working on math problems all day, but more than willing to go out and drink until the bars closed at 2 a.m. on any night of the week. Even though he liked to party, his work never stopped. On Sunday mornings, the Sarge would be up before 9 and would inevitably sit down at the kitchen table to begin, once again, writing down formulas and calculations, even though he was obviously painfully hungover from the night before. At first, I considered it the beginnings of Alcoholism 101. But now, with some perspective, I realized that I was wrong. Sure, by all objective measures, Sarge was a raging alcoholic. Some would politely label him a functioning alcoholic. His accomplishments, however, they speak for themselves. In 1992, the Sarge successfully defended his dissertation and was awarded his PhD in pure theoretical mathematics from the University of Maryland. When my career moved me on, Sarge had just landed a coveted postdoc position with NOAA, the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Association a position where he was excited to put all of that knowledge and ability to work. I lost track of the Sarge for a couple of years after that. When I did manage to swing back through Washington, D.C. on a business trip, we met for dinner and drinks at the Brick Skeller off DuPont Circle, an old haunt of ours when we had roomed together. There, over a couple of pints of beer, I was surprised to discover that Sarge wasn't working at NOAA anymore. Instead, he had been working as a software engineering contractor to pay the rent, as he explained. What happened at NOAA? I asked. I did great work there, Sarge began. But when I disagreed with the interpretation the results of my algorithm produced, it started to get messy. They wanted me to put my name on a research paper that they were going to publish based partly on my research, but I argued that they were jumping to conclusions and refused to sign on to it. Doesn't everyone want to have their name on a research paper? I asked. Yeah, especially in academia. But the results I produced were not definitive, claimed Sarge. What do you mean definitive? First off, 
The inputs of the model can be manipulated to produce whatever results you want. And even if the inputs are consistent, explained the Sarge, the model produces a range of results which can be interpreted differently. Being confused, I nodded a, uh-huh. So taking the cue, Sarge continued. Okay, so Noah likes to predict storms and hurricanes and stuff like that, Sarge explained. So the Clinton administration wants Noah to look at this new pet peeve of Vice President Al Gore, climate change. I just happened to be there, at Noah, working in a back corner on this very complex, complicated agricultural production model based on weather patterns. And the next thing I know, they're taking my results and extrapolating them to all sorts of conclusions that might be true, but might not be. Interested, I asked more. So what is all this hubbub about climate change anyway? Sarge sighed and then he said, the climate changes all the time. Just 1,500 years ago, the climate had warmed so much that the Vikings settled Greenland and Iceland. Then the climate cooled again, freezing almost all of those settlers out. And that's not to say anything about the wild swings that the ice ages caused. Okay, so the climate changes. I get that, I said in an agreeable tone of voice. Then Sarge, interrupting me, said, Yeah, and according to my models, it's certainly getting warmer. I don't disagree with that. Being naive at the time, I remember commenting, Okay, so I like warm weather. What's the problem then? Well, to oversimplify everything, Sarge continued, even though I'm fairly confident that the climate will get warmer over the short term, the further your predictions go into the future, the less accurate your results will be. I'm fairly certain that the Earth will get warmer over the next couple of decades. But these morons assume that since it's getting warmer now, it will only get warmer forever and ever. In other words, they don't even consider the fact that some unforeseen forces may naturally cool things down in the future. Unforeseen forces? Like what? I asked. Like a couple of years ago when Mount Pinatubo blew up in the Philippines, Sarge replied. That actually cooled the earth for a year or two. And like whatever causes the ice ages. You know, the last one only ended some 12,000 years ago. That's a blink of an eye in the Earth's history, my friend. And that marked the end of a really cold two and a half million years. Then Sarge took another swig of beer before continuing. Trying to predict the weather more than a few weeks in advance, let alone decades in advance, involves all sorts of factors, dude. Believe me, it's really complicated. I was only trying to better predict agricultural production, food crop yields, based on fluctuations in global temperatures. And that was based on what we know about the past, the very, very recent past, like the past 10,000 years or so. And now Noah wants to use my results to portend that worldwide famine and food shortages are in our future, our immediate future, like only 10 years in the future, all based on a changing climate, which they now have tied to the activities of man, namely the burning of fossil fuels. Is that true, I asked? That's the point. It's really hard to say. It might be, it might not, exclaimed the Sarge. A fair number of the model simulations produce changes in weather patterns that will cause droughts in some areas, which would decrease food production there. But there's also increased precipitation in other areas that would almost certainly increase food production in those other areas. So yeah, there would be disruptions, but worldwide famine and food shortages? I don't know. And the other thing, if I let my simulations run out for 10 decades or so, 
The results were huge increases in food production as vast tracts of the Boreal Shield in Canada and Siberia become arable farmland, due directly to a warming climate. But the deputy director, he only latched on to the weather patterns disruptions, which other researchers at NOAA assumed would lead to droughts and famine, and totally ignored everything else. Okay, so why would anyone at NOAA only want to focus on the negatives, I asked. Money, Sarge said flatly. Money? I queried. So, are you telling me that I should start investing in air conditioning manufacturers, thinking how I can make a buck off this trend? Nah, the Sarge said, shaking his head disapprovingly. It's not going to be a sudden change. We're talking about the average temperature around the globe increasing a fraction of a degree a year, less than a degree or two in a decade. But Noah wants to keep to the script and give the administration what they want, doom and gloom and worldwide famine as a result of a changing climate. But you say it's not likely, I asked to clarify. No, I'm not saying that, Sarge quickly corrected me. I'm just saying that it's too hard to predict. But if I had to say, I don't think the doom and gloom forecast can be made based on the results from the models I've created. So, why is it about money again? Still not understanding the money part of it. Ah, dude, sometimes you open your mouth and I hear my naive fraternity pledge all over again. You still don't get it, do you? Just follow the money. You'll always find your answer. What do you mean? All these government agencies compete for the same thing, Sarge explained. Taxpayer money. And the best surefire way for an agency like NOAA to get more funding is to find some boogeyman to scare the public so that more tax dollars flow their direction, ostensibly so they can fight the threat. Then sitting back, Sarge took another swig of beer before continuing. So yeah, my boss, he cherry-picked the results that the agency was looking for, namely that climate change was going to curtail the Earth's ability to produce food, and therefore, Noah's conclusion, not mine, mind you, was that widespread starvation, food shortages, and social unrest were going to occur, all as soon as the next decade if actions were not immediately taken on climate change. And those were the conclusions of the research paper that they wanted me to put my name on. So, you refused, I said. Oh yeah, I refused, Sarge said defiantly. And as a result, Noah fired you from your postdoc, I asked. Dude, I have my principles, the Sarge said emphatically. After that, my career took me other places, and it was a number of years before I ran into my old fraternity mentor again. This time, the Sarge was living in the Bay Area, and I was swinging through on another business trip. Sarge's life had taken a sharp turn into the private sector. He explained how, after the proverbial bridge with Noah was burned down to nothing but smoking cinders, any and all research opportunities in either academia or governmental agencies had disappeared. So, with those careers closed off, the Sarge had migrated into technology the emerging internet and web industries to be specific. Industries which paid very, very well, but which, as Sarge explained, also appeared to be poised to do tremendous good in the world. What do you mean? I asked. Let's take a walk, the Sarge countered, even though we had not finished our beers. Then I learned why. Although Sarge had toned down from mainlining vodka to drinking beer, he had taken up chain smoking and quickly lit up a cigarette as we exited the bar. 
This was 1995, and the prohibition against smoking in bars and restaurants had just taken effect in California. A coincidence which I couldn't help but notice. So, I see you've taken up smoking just when everywhere else is prohibiting it, I commented. Yeah, you know me. My timing is impeccable, just to Sarge. I always seem to be counter to the culture. Then, after taking a drag, he continued. To answer your question, this internet thing is going to be huge. Absolutely huge, Sarge began. Yeah, I know. I seem to be searching for stuff on Alta Vista all the time, I replied. Oh, you haven't seen anything yet. There are some really clever people in this town, Sarge said, motioning with his free hand up and down the streets of San Jose. Just wait, he nodded. I am working with some people who will make this thing explode. Mark my words, one day soon, everyone will have unlimited access to everything. Cool. So, like, what do you mean? I asked. Well, right now, it's all about porn, and I get that, began the Sarge. I'm a fan of porn myself, but I can see how this technology will allow the free flow of ideas and concepts and dissenting opinions, something surely lacking today. Pausing for a second, Sarge nodded, then continued. I finally feel comfortable and happy with what I'm doing. Do you miss math? I asked. Yeah, of course. She was my first love, responded the Sarge. But this, this pays really well, and I feel as if I'm helping to create something that will democratize information and improve societies all over the world. It's coming, dude. A free and open flow of ideas not controlled by an oligarchy of ultra-wealthy newspaper tycoons or the big three television networks, explained the Sarge. Newspaper tycoons, I asked curiously. Yeah, responded the Sarge. Don't you know that the media is completely controlled by an oligarchy? Haven't you ever heard of William Randolph Hearst, Ted Turner, or Michael Bloomberg? Dude, they are the fat cats who own all the news, and you only hear what they want you to know. But the internet, it's going to make all of that. The news, opinions, reference material, everything open and available so people will be able to get the information they want, not just what is shown to them on the front page or broadcast on the nightly news. No censorship, no manipulation. Then, taking another deep drag on a cigarette, Sarge continued. It makes me kind of proud, Sarge smiled. I'm working on the technology that's going to wrestle their monopoly away from that oligarchy, which has been shaping public opinion for as long as I've been alive. Departed, I could see the pride radiating from the Sarge, something I hadn't seen since he'd been a frantic grad student working on his PhD at Maryland. I didn't keep tabs on Sarge for a few years after that. I'd become busy with my life, getting married, raising kids, and managing my own career. The attempts that I'd made at reaching out to the Sarge either bounced off long-dead email accounts or were two telephone numbers that now had new owners. Even with the internet, the source for all information available at your fingertips, just like the Sarge had predicted. Trying to find him just led to one dead end after another. There wasn't any information on my old fraternity buddy for the past several years. It was like he had died without leaving any trace or record. Then one day, I received an unexpected call out of the blue from the Sarge. He was calling through a VPN using a burner telephone number and a calling card. I struggled to hear him, so when I suggested that I call him back, he explained that it was impossible for me to give him a call back. While everyone else in society had embraced the internet and email and cell phones, Sarge was purposely living off the grid. Okay, so why all the cloak and dagger, I began. 
Oh, dude, you don't understand these tech companies, the Sarge explained. There are, or should I say were, a lot of people working in them who had principles and values. But dude, these companies have become evil. I saw firsthand how devious they've become, Sarge said. Devious? What do you mean? I don't think they're devious. They're capitalists. They just want to make money for their shareholders, I countered. Do you use a search engine to look things up on the internet? The Sarge asked. Of course. I like Google, I explained. Do you know that they track everything you look up and everywhere you go? Sarge stated in an even more animated voice. I guess so. I think they use that to better target ads you see. Why does that matter? Dude, do you realize that they're keeping tabs on you? Storing all this information about you? Do you know that you're trading your privacy for the use of their search engine? I could sense the anxiety and tension in his voice. So, why do I care? I responded as calmly as I could. They're building a dossier on you. It's not just about where you go and what you buy. Given enough time, they will know who your friends are, where you go, and even what your political views are. They will know you better than you know yourself. So what? I answered indignantly. How else can I use everything that the World Wide Web has to offer without using a search engine? Dude, you're being profiled by these big tech companies and you don't even know it. It's coming. What's coming, I asked. 1984. Sarge, I think you're a little bit off there, I explained. It's 2011. I know that, cried the Sarge. I'm referring to the book, 1984. Oh, the book by George Orwell, I said, then understanding the reference. The worst part is that they share all of your private, personal information with the government. I can't see how the government would have any interest in what I do on the internet, I said. The Sarge then launched into an in-depth explanation. Okay, let me lay it out for you. You need to know that these big tech companies keep all your information. Everything you have searched for, every web page you visited, every single comment you make in a chat room or on a news article, all of it forever, Sarge stated emphatically, then continuing even more agitated than before. And they readily share that information with the government, mostly without even being subpoenaed to do so. Just think about that when a government agency decides to pressure you into something, especially something they know that you already disagree with. Look, Sarge, I responded, I get that you're paranoid. But if I'm not doing anything wrong, why would I have anything to fear from the government? I asked, trying to calm Sarge down. That's ironic, the Sarge replied sarcastically. What do you mean ironic, I asked. Do you realize that you just quoted Joseph Goebbels? Not knowing who Joseph Goebbels was, I asked. That name sounds familiar. Who is he? Sarge replied, he was Adolf Hitler's propaganda minister. Hmm, I responded. Then after a pause in the conversation, I asked Sarge, So, I take it you're not working in the tech industry anymore, I said, stating the obvious. Not anymore, replied the Sarge. I just couldn't look at myself in the mirror, knowing that they were misusing all the technology I'd helped build to help the government spy on its citizens. Then, after a pause where Sarge calmed his voice, he continued, Dude, you know me. I'm a patriot and I really love America. I pay my taxes and all, but I just don't trust the tech industry after working in it, especially how I saw all that information might be misused if it falls into the wrong hands. What could be the wrong hands, I asked. Like the government's hands, replied the Sarge. Again, 
I just let the comment drop and tried to change the subject. You were happy and so hopeful the last time we talked, I said. What was that phrase you used? You were working on the democratization of information? Yeah, exclaimed the Sarge. That turned out to be a farce. As soon as the big money started to flow, all the power became concentrated in a few companies, and those companies collude to control the flow of information. It's back to the 1970s, man. Once again, you only get the news that they want you to know. But now, instead of big media moguls, it's big tech companies. Hmm, I muttered, not wanting to be drawn further into his conspiracy theory. So what are you doing now? And yet another attempt to change the subject. I tried to track your butt down several times, but you're impossible to find. I know I'm hard to find, said the Sarge, but that happens when you know you're being tracked. So I try to stay off the internet as much as possible. I'm teaching math at various universities. Ah, so a professor again, I said hopefully. No, the Sarge corrected. I'm just a lowly, at-large instructor. I move around from university to university. I only stay a quarter or two. Only a quarter or two, I asked. Why? Well, began the Sarge. Once word gets out that I speak English and I can actually teach math, my sections end up getting crashed with hordes of kids who can't understand the other instructors, and I get overloaded with students. That doesn't seem fair, I said. Why don't you just send them back to their sections? I asked naively. I feel bad for the kids, Sarge explained. They simply can't understand who's supposed to be teaching them. Why not? I innocently asked. Well, you see, these universities, they don't hire professors or recruit grad students based on their ability to teach. They hire them to do research and to publish academic papers. So there are all these foreign professors and foreign grad students who are really, really smart, really good mathematicians. But a lot of them are so hard to understand, and some of them are just horrible instructors. But these ESUs force them to teach undergraduates because they have to. Why do they have to teach? I asked. In the eyes of these state legislatures who fund them with taxpayer money, the primary purpose of that university is to teach the little Tommies and Susies from down on the farm math. It's not to do research and to publish papers. ESU, I asked. Oh yeah, parlance, Sarge explained. It stands for Enormous State University. So, continued the Sarge, when all of these little Tommies and Susies show up at their math lecture, only to discover that they can't understand the professor, then they go off to their TA section, only to find that too is being led by someone who wasn't recruited for their ability to teach. You can guess what happens. Yeah, I answered. Little Tommy and Susie end up flocking to your section. Exactly, agreed the Sarge. It's not the professor's fault, though, or even the TAs. It's a messed up system. It's either publish or perish at those ESUs. The ability to teach takes a far back seat when it comes to tenure, and the professors and TAs all know that. Well, it's got to be rewarding, I said, knowing that all those kids come to you to learn. It is, admitted the Sarge. I do enjoy teaching them, but ironically, as an at-large member of the faculty, I get paid less than the janitor. After that, I didn't hear from the Sarge until about three years ago. This time he called me from a cell phone which clearly registered his name. So, no more cloak and dagger, I began, poking fun at his change in attitude. I see that you're not trying to protect your privacy anymore. I make sure I can't get hacked, began the Sarge. But it's useless to try to keep your information private anymore. 
they've made it too hard to get anything done without being tracked on your phone or through the internet. Then, after a deep sigh, Sarge continued, Eric Snowden showed us how far the unholy alliance of big tech and the government has gotten. We Americans just don't have privacy anymore. Big tech knows all about us, and so do the intelligence agencies. The good thing is they haven't sent out the goon squads to round up political enemies yet. So, Sarge, what are you up to these days? Are you still teaching math? I asked, once again, trying to get him off his conspiracy theory thinking. Nope. My teaching days ended when I was accused of sexual harassment, he said flatly. I never fit in, clarified the Sarge in his matter-of-fact tone of voice. Wow, that's embarrassing, I began. So what happened? That is, if you don't mind sharing. I heard the Sarge take a deep sigh, and then... I was doing really, really well at being an instructor at this community college. I had great ratings, my students loved me, and the workload was okay. I got used to it, a steady gig, and I even had benefits. So I had to go to this faculty mixer, a social event that, after being there for a couple of years, I knew I needed to attend. And there, I made what was labeled an inappropriate comment. Go on, I mumbled after Sarge had paused. So there was this other instructor there, a colleague, a woman I worked with. We were all just talking and kidding around. So I made a joke about her being pregnant. I didn't think it was that bad. She even laughed. Were you drunk? I asked. Dude, Sarge began. I was sober as a judge. I hadn't had a drink in weeks. So what was the joke? Well, first you have to understand, Sarge began. She was huge. She was at least eight, if not nine months pregnant. And she'd busted my chops a few times before, mostly about my long hair. So you still have that out of control mop on your head? Yeah, I do, admitted the Sarge. It's sort of my trademark now. Okay, so come on, what was the joke? All I said was, answered the Sarge. You know what causes that, don't you? while I pointed at her very obvious pregnant belly. I didn't even touch her, exclaimed the Sarge. I didn't think anything more about it until that Monday afternoon, when I was told to meet with the community college president. I thought I was going to meet with him about the high ratings the students had given me for my teaching. But when I arrived there, there was this committee, which had been formed to investigate the so-called allegation. Breathing deeply, Sarge then continued, Ah, it was like a Mickey Mouse court, man. I could tell by every somber face on the committee that they'd already decided. I just admitted that I had, in fact, made the alleged statement and told them that they should all just lighten up because it was just a joke. Even so, they kept me there for an hour, each of them asking me the same thing over and over again in slightly different ways. And in between their similar questions were these weirdly odd lectures about how serious the school took such allegations and how they had a zero-tolerance policy towards such behavior, blah, blah, blah. It was like each member of the committee had to show the other members that they too were so offended by my joke. I see. Could you have fought it? Oh, sure, continued the Sarge. It's an academic environment. There are all these appeal processes. I could have drug it out for weeks. But hell, why bother? I didn't think it was that bad. I didn't think it was bad at all. But the more I thought about it, I decided that's clearly not the place I want to be working. Not when you can't have some friendly banter with a coworker. 
I see, I commented. So what are you doing now? I asked, wanting to move on to a more positive subject. Well, I moved to New Orleans, Sarge explained, and now I work in the back of this mom-and-pop seafood place. I don't have to talk to anyone. I get one really great meal a day, and I make enough to afford my rent and living expenses. You're working in the back of a seafood restaurant? That doesn't seem to be a very good use of your abilities, I mistakenly remarked. The Sarge huffed and said, Dude, after decades of working my butt off to create all of these remarkable things, like the agricultural prediction model I did at NOAA, and all those technical innovations I worked on in Silicon Valley, only to see each and every one of my achievements misused, after all the stress I've been through just trying to keep my integrity and self-respect. And then, being raked over the coals for making an innocent joke at a two-bit community college, a college where I was the best math instructor they ever had, after all of that, I'd rather just wash dishes.